the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi. Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by the one and only Sister Rogers, who is an activist at the intersection of cannabis, sustainability, and mental health, which are just so happen to be three of my favorite subjects in the whole wide world. So I'm super excited <laughs> to, to have this conversation and to learn more about what you're up to these days. So thank you for being here again. Can you do a, a, a more thorough intro to share your background with the audience? Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I feel like these conversations always happen not recorded. <laughs> and so it's great to like capture in this moment. Um, but yeah, I'm Sister Rogers. That's cool. I'm kind of like known as within the cannabis space and community. And those are my main interests. Um, a lot of the work that I started doing within the cannabis industry just was around act activism and understanding policy more. Um, like the first person that comes to my mind is honestly Doug Green. He was my mentor. Um, he helped me understand why bill language is so important. And like, even though it, it almost felt very like King's James Bible, reading bills and legislation it's like they're too for with i'm like why are we speaking like this just say it plainly um but all of these experiences that i've had within this industry has like culminated in understanding where i am and my place within it all um and yeah that is at the intersection of cannabis the the whole plant both marijuana and hemp sustainability, how can we utilize the plant itself and the raw materials um, to be more eco-conscious and to improve our socioeconomic status as like a collective of people. Um, Cause there's so much ways to make money off of this now essential business, right? And then mental health, like the, one of the first things I really realized not, it wasn't even my own cannabis use, right? It was being a part of the cannabis community here in New York, which, you know, we roll deep. <laughs> there's so many of us. And then for, for the people that you don't necessarily know, there's like always a small degree of separation. And when you're in these spaces, we all, all like find ourselves um, becoming more of a community, hanging out with each other. And then you see the way that like consumption is happening and um, the types of conversations that come from these consumption experiences. And I realized it kind of like clicked in moments like, oh yeah, everybody here is utilizing it for some form of like mental health care, even though we're considering it recreational or adult use, that's not really the reality of our everyday usage. It's always from some point of like care for self. Wow. There was a lot there. Thank you for that. I'm going to try to <laughs> recap a few points that really st stuck out to me, which is, first of all, first and mm -hmm. foremost, RIP to Doug Green, who was a legendary cannabis activist in New York, one of the most committed and was fighting the good fight for decades. And, you know, it was a sad loss for the whole community with that, that tragic accident with Doug. So, um, and uh, indeed. And on, on a on a lighter note, I, I I really like a couple of things you mentioned. One of which, of course, is hemp and the sustainability. And you know, let's let's get into that in a little bit. The you know the yeah. SDGs and how hemp is such a versatile, rich resource for us to heal mm -hmm. the planet. But I want to get back to that because I, I want to start with. I want to take a step back. I also want to chat about, you know, the mental health aspect, super fascinating for me. And of course, mm -hmm. cannabis will, will definitely cover that one. But before we do, I want to hear the story of how you decided to become an activist and get into cannabis, because yeah. if, 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 if I remember correctly, you had a pretty solid career that you were building and you made a big change 
to go <laughs> start doing the activism work. So how did that mm -hmm. transformation happen? Yeah, so uh, my background is in accounting. I have both my undergrad and master's, my MBA in accounting um, in international business. So it's interesting because when you're in the corporate world or the, the matrix of what we've all been taught around this stuff, like I didn't foresee myself not being in the corporate world in some sense. Um, I think I always had like the entrepreneurial spirit you know, selling earrings in high school and like selling those little candy boxes, you know, like we, you get from Costco and stuff like that. Um, you know, just hustling, making a little money on the side and everything. But I, I got into a car accident in 2016 and that made me unable to really sit at a desk for long periods of time. And that was a huge component of being an accountant. Like what else do I do but sit at a desk and stare at a computer for hours. Um, and at that point, I think I didn't, I wasn't really clear to work or do anything until mid 2017, but I was invited to a, I'm going to shout her out. Um, well, I'm not sure. If, well, back then they were called thinking of a blue dream and they, they had like a, a lovely um, cannabis infused dinner service. And really I got into the cannabis space and activism space through being introduced to the community. So going to these small events and then hearing about other events and really connecting with people all just felt very synergistic. And for a long time, um, I think when you come with certain skill sets already, everyone's gonna tell you to utilize your available skill sets and just transfer them into this new industry like you would any other industry. If you wanted to work in fashion or in home goods and things like that. Like you're just transferring your skill, your marketing skill, your accounting skill, whatever to that. So um, I didn't wanna do accounting and cannabis. <laughs> it was funny. And even though I do do it now, um, at first it was just not my first inkling. I started learning so much. The more you go to these events, the more you are uh, made aware and get to meet different people from different walks of life and also be exposed to experts, which is the, the whole, I guess, point of the cannabis community as well. Um, so, you know, went to a few high and wise, all these different types of events and, and like networking scenarios. And um, of course, like, it, it's very interesting because I think just the way that I am, I just immediately found the people who actually like were about things. Cause I'm just like, okay, well let's actually do stuff then. Like, I don't want to talk about things anymore. I, I'm the type of person where we can strategize around this we can figure out what steps need to be taken and then we just do it. Um, met lots of people who either had that similar mindset or you know, everybody kind of weeds themselves out. You figure out the people who aren't really about the work or the people who um, are just here for the money or, you know, you meet all these different characters. Uh, either way, it was mainly going to networking events where I learned more about the injustices within the space and um, just more about the plant itself on a molecular level, on a social level on a personal, a spiritual level that I realized, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm in this industry and I have been for the last five years. So. Awesome. I'm curious to, to shift gears for a second about, uh, you know, policy side of things. I know you were just up in Albany and today the news is hitting that New York lawmakers have made a deal and adult use is coming to New York finally. And I'm curious from your perspective as an activist, how do you, how do you like what's, what you're seeing in New York so far and just, and more broadly in New Jersey and the tri-state and just overall, what do, what do you think about the state of things? Okay, so that's kind of a loaded question for me. And in some aspects, I can't really give too much information. So um, what I will say though, is that I'm, I'm, hmm. With every bill that passes in every state, especially recently, 
um, what people already understand while they're activists and then even the fight to getting the bill passed and everything. And then when the bill actually is passed is that your work is never done. <laughs> and that is the point that I think is the most important out of all of this. Um, so regardless of what news comes out, what regardless of what happens, we've been doing the work, we're going to keep doing the work and then it's going to continue because there are always going to be parts in every single bill that we don't like which is why we saw it being held up for a while, uh, mainly because there was language in there, the there to, for, with, we're out, <laughs> all those things that people didn't necessarily agree with because it, um, it affected other areas of the chain of governance. <laughs> That's beautifully, what we <laughs> beautifully said. And... But we keep doing the work. That's all. Absolutely. There's no other choice. And it's kind of crazy to think that after all of these years, we're just now getting started. And in many ways, it's just the beginning. This industry is plenty young. And it's so funny. I can't tell you how many people I've, I'm speaking to recently around the world that are telling me, hey, even 10, 20 years into this, this is still just the beginning. And so from your perspective, for folks who are just now starting to look at cannabis business, cannabis activism, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for people that want to get into either of those things, either of those avenues? What are, what are some pro tips? Okay. Uh, for activism, doing a, a basic search, typing in your city name or your state name and seeing what organizations either already exist there or ways to connect to these people. Or, um, And a lot of the times I've come across a few people, I would say like it's a, a lot more common now, like you find at least some type of organization almost in every state. Um, but there was a time where that wasn't a thing. And my advice then was, create it then like you're learning too and the more that you then connect with other people who are actual experts in this or who know more information then guess what you learn too it's a win-win and then you get to teach your community and now you become that point person hey i know a guy like that I, I know a guy who did that <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and and that's really like one of the easiest ways in um and then on the business side of things I'm not gonna go with the, the whole transferable skill thing because I believe that this industry is one in which, because it is so, um, it is so fresh off of the press, <laughs> it's so new. It's, and on top of that, it's very much uh, Gen X and millennial dominated, more so millennial dominated. Um, we bring a different type of perspective to this. And many of us have, um, it seems to me, <laughs> I don't wanna necessarily make it a general statement, but it does seem to me in looking around the communities of cannabis across the United States I've been invited to be in and spaces I've been able to be in, there's a lot less people subscribing to the rat race, corporate matrix cycle way of life and don't want to, they understand that like, yes, there are processes that will of course be useful within the cannabis space, but I rather do something that more that makes me more of a social entrepreneur or um, that, you know, that's more around my passion and purpose and being able to do that in this space because there is so much space to create. <laughs> there, it's kind of like when before there were uh, furniture made out of trees and wood pieces, then no one could quite understand or fathom what they could create until they created it. And that's what I think that this industry right now, it's like a nebula where it, and it's not an incubator. Yeah. A nebula where we could all like actually come up with, um, depending on the type of ventures you want, something that actually changes and helps the world that we live in. So what I'm hearing from you on the business side is... Oh, find your why, essentially. Find your why and then do that. I totally am on board with that. And I'm going to do my shameless plug for the Cannabis Business Book, where one of the first chapters is 
start with why and figure out mm-hmm. what, why are you trying to be in this industry? And what I'm hearing from you, which is exactly the same sermon that I'm preaching in yep. the book and elsewhere, is that the people who really do well and succeed in this industry, by and large, are doing it for some social or purpose or mission-driven reason. It's it's bigger than business for them, even mm-hmm. though business is the mechanism through which they happen to operate. Um, yep. So I wanna I wanna touch on those different prongs of the the triangle of your your mission space, which is cannabis sustainability and mental health. And mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about the mental health piece because okay. I think there's, you know, so much there and, you know, there's a lot of interesting perspectives like the all use is medical, you know, or therapeutic. That's one mm-hmm. popular perspective. There's the, you know, I think one thing that you and I have found common ground on over the years is uh, conscious consumption and, how most people would benefit from a micro dose of cannabis and that most people are over consuming or perhaps irresponsibly consuming because, you know, that's just the habit. And it's, there's this consumerist capitalist kind of American thing in cannabis that makes people want to, you know, go big supersized blunts and cones and, yeah, and six the... foot bongs and all sorts of, you know, extravagance, which is fun. Look, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. anyone mm-hmm. should be free to enjoy cannabis, whatever wish they please. In place. Yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. ways they please. Um, there, I think there's a, a time and a place for those things. And, and here's the, here's the kicker. Like the real gag is even in all the work that I do and like the progress that I'm involved in, um, sometimes like when people around me hear my real thoughts on all of these things they're like are you (laughs) anti-legalization like the way that you are speaking about these things and it's not that I'm anti-cannabis or anti-cannabis legalization I am um I am pro education and I think that when people are educated then they can make informed decisions better and it's not necessarily the plant itself that is the issue and and well that i have to redact that a bit because the um the percentage of thc that exists within our our products today is way higher um it's genetically modified i mean what what isn't at this point but there is something to be said about the um the potency levels of the cannabis that we have today and then how that does interfere and interact with our biochemical natures and our minds as a result um, and dependencies and all these other things, but for the most part, it's it's not really the self that's the problem. It's our interaction with it. So it's not money that's really the problem. It's people's attachment to it and them wanting to hold on to so much of it. It's not food that's the problem. It's people's overeating and being emotional in that moment and then binging um, versus like practicing some type of balance where they're allowing themselves, you know, moments of being able to have access to that thing that it is that they do want um, and not completely abstaining in a way where they just like, you know, go off the handles. There's a balance to it all. Uh, And yeah, I feel like that's what I can say on mental health and cannabis. So I, you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really interesting. One is around, you know, innovation breeds potency in cannabis. And so as the last 10 years, things have opened up in America and worldwide, there's there's been this kind of THC arms race or whatnot. And of course, now we're learning more and more about other cannabinoids and people are trying to optimize for cannabinoid variety and special strains of, you know, high CBG, mm-hmm. high CBN and figuring out mm-hmm. the different terpenes, all, all that stuff is good and nice. But the truth is we don't have a lot of long-term research about how this stuff affects your endocannabinoid receptors, other receptors, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that doesn't get 
mentioned nearly enough. And most consumers don't have that awareness that, hey, there's actually some more risk to this than maybe I commonly believe. And uh, I think the other piece is for me, when I think about mental health, and maybe this is my bias, you know, my head Mm -hmm. goes to like therapy, counseling, Mm -hmm. you know, support services, et cetera. And even coaching would fit into that. I, I, I yeah. will be bold and daring enough to suggest such a crazy thing. But um, I think cannabis can be integrated in a lot of these therapeutic practices and modalities. Yeah. And for whatever reason, psychedelics gets a lot of the attention um, as like the, this can fix depression or Mm. or PTSD or whatever. And Mm. certainly I'm a big believer of psychedelics and, and the therapeutic possibilities. And I also understand that without the integration or that willingness to do the work and kind of go into the, uh, I don't know, the cave, if you will, or or whatever, Mm. and face the shadows, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get that healing and, and therapeutic effect. And my hypothesis, my crazy stoner theory is that cannabis can be just as effective to facilitate that kind of accessibility or perspective or integration. Mm -hmm. And I don't get, quite frankly, why more like healthcare practitioners aren't curious to, to, to find that intersection and to use this powerful tool because maybe they're not, I don't know, they don't have that training. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think of that? I think a part of it is like the lack of training around this. So the miseducation, once again, um, because if you were taught that this thing is um, addictive, highly addictive, um, it makes people lose brain cells and all of these other crazy non-truths, essentially, um, that that have been scientifically disproven, then there's that. And then I think there's the other layer of a lot of these people um, aren't really seeking the information on top of the ignorance that that exists and are afraid of um, losing their licenses, essentially. Like if they are some type of healthcare practitioner, if there isn't a, a framework around how to um, incorporate this plant or any other psychedelic medium, um, and it's, especially if it's not really well known or like, you know, you can lose, you know, your ability to make income and sustain yourself, then they're not really doing it or they're doing it on the underground. Um, I, what I will say is uh, plugging my own practice, Mindful Toking, where we do exactly this. And you, I do want to touch on what you were saying around um, even coaching being a form of therapy. It is because essentially you're talking to people about their life problems and, and are helping them guide through these situations that they're in. Um, it's kind of like how when people go to the hairdresser or the barber shop, and then, you know, everybody's talking about things and sometimes a personal moment can happen and it's like a nice little group therapy healing. Like these are all healing spaces um, when we want them to be and when we create them to be. But yeah, mindful talking is a space that exists to really talk about the um, our inner emotional mechanisms and the way that we can utilize psychedelics or cannabis-assisted therapy um, within this space. I think that like some of my favorite classes or sessions are the group ones, of course, because everybody is able to like, not necessarily feed off of each other, but like, I think that cannabis makes people acutely sensitive. So um, there's kind of like a releasing or a relaxing maybe of the ego. And that allows people to be a bit more vulnerable in that moment. And what I find is that people want that space to be vulnerable. And usually when they're in their ciphers with friends and that vulnerability does happen, there's not someone really being, not always someone emotionally mature there to like carry the conversation. Like, oh, that happened to you? Like, yeah, like that happened to me too. Let's touch on that. Like, it's kind of like, oh man, that's that's like, keep smoking, (laughs) take another puff, Um, drown out that problem, you know, use this to cope. And they're not realizing it in that moment that what I actually am doing is utilizing this to cope because it is um, either calming my heart or it's calming my mind or it's allowing me to get my mind off of that issue for a bit. It's it's a coping mechanism that we're utilizing. And the, the problem 
of education just is really because everyone was introduced to it in some like weird way <laughs> and there was no instruction manual it was just someone telling you like yeah take a deep breath <laughs> do what i do and you I'll have no pass. yeah exactly and you you have no framework you have no instruction manual you don't really know what's happening so i i heard a couple of things there i want to highlight one is this coping and numbing, which I think is a real phenomenon that happens for a lot of people. And, you know, on one hand, they're getting some relief. And on the other hand, it's putting the bandaid on the bullet wound if you're not really facing the real core of the issue. And I think it, it's really interesting that cannabis has this ability to, to, to be an instrument to either sharpen or to dull. And you, you talked about, um, you know, soothing the heart or the mind with cannabis. You know, mm -hmm. I'll just add to that list also the body where, yeah. you know, chronic pain and, and injuries and inflammation, all this stuff that we know cannabis helps. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's, it's clear that this is a powerful therapeutic tool and mm -hmm. I, what's exciting for me is that it seems like more and more people unquestionably get that, you know, in mm -hmm. society, like in our world mm -hmm. and policy still needs to catch up because there's still so many gaps. And especially when we think about cannabis justice and criminal justice reform and getting people out of prison and, and the institutional stigma of cannabis where you know, if you have some cannabis in your urine, you could lose your income and livelihood, which is so foolish. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like some recent Biden administration folks <laughs> allegedly yeah. found out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, ooh. Okay. So it, it's all about like how cannabis, it, this is so unknown to people, right? And we have to always remember from, the stance of policy. Um, a, yes, it's very bureaucratic and it moves very slowly. But what we already know as like people within the activism space is that we move in ahead of the law. We create the spaces, we create and do all the things that we want to see. And then they catch up and create laws to, to handle that. Bitcoin, for example, just any type of digital banking coin based that whole blockchain situation. Look at them scramble, trying to figure out how do we contain this? We have to just go ahead and create whatever it is that we want to see. But um, for legislators, I think that there has to be a little bit of like leeway there, mainly because none of them ever thought they would be dealing with this. Like <laughs> they didn't, they never thought like, this is not Oregon, you know, they're not like, yeah, let's add all the other stuff. And they're kind of like, I was taught this about this. This is how we dealt with it. You know, some somebody may do it in their spare time, but it's very hush. You know, it, it affects the way that people think about you. Look at Mayor Bill de Blasio and his daughter. Um, he went so quickly from putting her in a in a, a whole like treatment program about it when his daughter was out here being an activist and like, you know, it came out that she was smoking and all these other things to, oh yeah, now I support cannabis legalization, please like make me your president, make me, make me your, you know, your other elected official, whatever. Um, when, when you have less of a fear around it and you remove kind of like the stigma. And I feel like the more that people are open about their either cannabis use or um, all these other aspects and moves the conversation along. But many of them would, did not think that this was going to be a reality. And um, even on the, like kind of bringing it back to the whole cannabis and mental health conversation, uh, like some people are functional and some are not. That's the reality. <laughs> and it's the non-functional people, I guess, that are kind of like, it perpetuates a certain stigma, um, but the more that people are open about their cannabis usage and the ways that they're being responsible with their use, I think to see someone who is a, a multi-business owner who consumes um, and realizing like, oh, well, you can still keep yourself together and you haven't lost your mind. You haven't, I don't even know what 
what they I know say. a guy like that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask you. I a also question. like how, like, oh, really quickly, I like how, like, um, okay, so cannabis can do like this two sided thing, right? So sometimes um, I, I have the personal belief that cannabis doesn't necessarily need to be there as a as a way to connect with one's inner self or spiritually with one's higher self. But I think that it can be utilized um, mindfully along this experience. But I, I don't think it's kind of like cannabis does have the ability to also drag people through their own personal neuroses. Like you'll sit there and be like, oh my God, my worst fear, this weakness, oh my goodness. Like <laughs> it's just heightening whatever you are currently already feeling. Um, and so the more that we can talk about these things and be more open about them and introduce them and bring them into these therapeutic and wellness spaces, then we're actually helping more people <laughs> be more informed and you know, we're, we're creating the type of industry we want to see where people are more mindful and conscious about their consumption. Absolutely. What I'm hearing is that sometimes cannabis can make you paranoid or, or <laughs> green out or, or make you anxious or actually make mental health difficulties worse. And mm -hmm. I think it's important for us as a community, us as educators to not be afraid to say that because it's true yeah. and we need to be honest. So people get good information and, you know, so that they can take care of themselves and each other and consume mm -hmm. consciously. And I want to shift gears for, for a second, because you mentioned something earlier that caught my ear about mm -hmm. New York city elections that are coming up. You know, we got the mayoral election, a record yeah. amount of open city council seats, a couple other Ooh. district attorneys and, you so know, our, our beloved ha, quote unquote, uh, Governor presidents. Cuomo is, uh, you know, <laughs> in a, I, I don't know how to quite characterize his position without being offensive, but um, mm. he's in a bad spot. And yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I've never been a big fan of his personally, so I'm, I'm not gonna, mm -hmm. but I don't want to spread negativity. So I'll reserve yeah. my, my views. But, <laughs> but the, the point I wanted to get at was that New York is due for a lot of change in the next mm -hmm. several years, whoever steps into power now. And mm -hmm. so what does the community, not only the cannabis community, but other communities that are traditionally disenfranchised or not represented in an appropriate way, how can they take advantage of this changing of the guard potentially mm. and be good, good advocates for themselves, for their interests and, and, and have influence in this, uh, this potential political shift that's happening. Well, not potential, this very real political shift that's happening in my experience, because I, I'm still, there are, there are parts of the cannabis community in which they engage in um, community engagement, you know, getting people more educated and things like that. I feel like there are people who are there to do that and it's always needed. And what is sometimes not realized is that there has to be, um, or there is a need, I'll say that, for other conversations that are just as meaningful for community members. What I'm really saying in a roundabout way <laughs> is that oftentimes um, people don't just become activists for no reason. You know, it's some type of situation or personal experience that pushes someone into the space of wanting to take action. And many community members aren't there yet. And more, even more so they don't understand civic service as a as a total and they just know that it's a it's a clog in the wheel you know it seems to move kind of slow i got to come out every 4 years for the the big guy in office and the local stuff i'm not really even concerned with mainly because i don't understand or i don't have i don't see the direct correlation between me choosing someone who aligns with my ideals and values and how that 
affects how much money I can make. Um, the access to uh, gro groceries, um, my access to childcare, like these pillars of livable cities, transportation, all these other aspects that are really important to us and help us to, to feel like, you know, that we actually wanna stay in this one area or in this community um, and bringing that conversation to cannabis. There's an intersection there and people are not necessarily seeing it. For example, cannabis legalization happens in New York. New York was already pretty much overcrowded as is because of the coronavirus. Um, many people have left and it's usually the people who aren't really the hardcore New Yorkers. I'm just saying, because I'm a native New Yorker and it's been real interesting seeing how the people who call themselves New Yorkers who just lived here for 10 years have just up and left and went back to Utah. But what I will say <laughs> is that um, within all of this, that means that there's going to be even more of an influx of people who are going to come here for job opportunities. That means more people on the train. That affects your transportation now. <laughs> That's already, you know, the MTA is trying to raise the fare saying like, hey, we lost even more money during this time and we need it. Um, it affects uh, some people being able to, to get jobs because now there are people coming in from other states who have the experience who are now like, they're, they're going to be chosen over you. And now they're living in these more expensive places because they're getting the money. Like it, it affects all of these other areas of our lives. And when we get, when in our activism, if we can draw the lines between people, for people and helping, you know, doing a little bit of civic education in a way that's more personable to people, you have to change the way that they're thinking and feeling about it. That galvanizes them to move. That makes them an activist for their own interest. Um, but to not do that is, um, you know, you'll, you'll get what we often see when we go on our social media feeds, if you are a part of a cannabis community, when something is posted, then you're seeing the same post over and over and over and over. Why? Because you're only in your own bubble. You're siloing and, and kind of cutting off yourself from being in intersections that are just as important, that are um, varied, and that would actually pull more people into the conversation. Wow. Oh, that was useful. <laughs> yes, that's great. That was awesome. I want to shift gears now and get a little bit of coaching in before our time together is up. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to ask you, what's your biggest business buzzkill or roadblock right now? And it doesn't have to be a business thing if there's something that feels more pressing or mm -hmm. whatnot. Okay, so <laughs> whoo, it's been a very interesting past two weeks for me, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm A, growing as a business, like all, all of my businesses are growing and we're taking on new clients, everything is happening, I'm happy for that. But with all of that, now comes that area where you stop being a solopreneur. And like, I've always been kind of like outsourcing help and things like that, but like actually bringing someone on to like my, team. Um, and I had an assistant before. However, um, I'm unable to work with them right now. And in the search for a new assistant, I found that like the last two have been really bad choices. And it's interesting because I have all of this experience, all of this schooling, all of these things, you know, I do extra reading and you realize like, I've done all this reading about sales and marketing and branding and this and that, and like all these functional flows and productivity and blah, 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 blah. But the one, one area that I didn't realize I also needed was HR. <laughs> so how do, how does one, um, find quality people to work with um, in this emerging kind of like new industry and space. And then, um, yeah, I think I'll start there and then like flow into my next question. That is such an important, wonderful question. I'm so, so grateful that you brought me that question because I think it is so underappreciated and and underrated how hard it is, especially in cannabis. This has been my experience to an extent to find really good people to work with is mm -hmm. hard. 
That's just, you know, plain and simple, no other way to put it. And then when you find good people, because there's certainly a lot of passionate, driven, intelligent, capable people who care about cannabis and are looking for ways to get involved. There's, there's plenty of them out there, which is awesome. Yet things are nebulous. Like you said, things are undefined. Things are changing quickly. And so what, in my experience, there's not a lot of structure and creating that structure and giving someone else the tools to succeed and to fit into your organization or your operation is tricky. It's certainly tricky. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the answer you've revealed to me with your question, which mm -hmm. is you've already, you're, you know how to learn stuff. You, you've already <laughs> done, you know, the reading on 10 other subjects. So you can mm -hmm. go pick up this one with, with, I'm sure just a matter of time, you'll figure it out and you'll be cool. <laughs> but, you know, and of course I would recommend go to, go to some folks that have already figured it out and do it well and study the model. But I think another part of it is just really reflecting on who that quote unquote right person or right relationship, what that looks like, mm -hmm. kind of having, having something in mind before, you know, it's, it's amazing how much the right job posting makes a difference. Mm -hmm, yeah. You attract, you know, it's like a, I, I joke that it's like a dating profile, you know, mm -hmm. the applicants are going to depend on kind of the posting. And so I, I think there's an element of that. Um, and I, my question to you would be, what are you going to do differently from the last two times that you've kind of collaborated or found people that maybe didn't work out so well? What do you need to do differently to get a better outcome this time? Right. So I employed a new strategy um, and I utilize kind of like my other kind of like knowledge in some way. So exactly in line with what you were saying, um, I created basically like the same way you have to create a target customer for your business. So you know who you're actually marketing to. I was like, well, then what does like my ideal executive assistant look like? Like, what are they doing? What are they interested in? Where can I find them? Like, where can they be right now? Um, and then I changed the post to be, to kind of like not only talk about the types of requirements that I was looking for, but also to kind of like speak about the type of the characteristics of the person that I'm looking for as well. And then I noticed that um, I got fewer responses to my job post, but I feel like there were more quality responses as a result. But the you have to understand that the first two times wasn't because of a lack of due diligence. It was pure swindle. Like they lied on their resumes. They didn't actually have that experience. Um, <laughs> I feel like that free space just damn well that's that's uh, and let that be a great lesson to anyone who's listening to in do any, your due diligence even yes <laughs> always and and do a little more than you think you need to do and yes. in this space just because it's a booming kind of green rush mm. if you will it's gonna attract hustlers and shysters and and tricksters and scammers and all that kind of stuff. People looking for a quick buck and wow. be on the lookout for those folks and stay away from them. <laughs> they're out there. They're yes. out there and they're they're doing the most and they are they are out here finessing. <laughs> they're finessing. Um, because okay. I do I do I will say this. Um, I also it the the part that's so like even more kind of crushing within it is that my previous assistant was kind of like my second brain. So I would, you know, be going through a process and it'll be like, oh, I thought this would be helpful for you. And I'm like, yes, you get me, you understand this, everything. And so I, I thought that I could like intuitively make these choices, right? Um, yes, I looked at the, you know, like reviews from any work that they previously done or their portfolio and their resume and all these other things. Um, but I was kind of like, during the interviews, I'm like, oh, I'm going to kind of like be more intuitive in this, you know, like, what does my gut tell me? <laughs> my gut was wrong twice. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that I can't trust my gut, <laughs> but it does um, 
it did highlight the need for more specificity in what it is that I'm looking for. And then, um, like I said, going back to the drawing board and realizing, oh, well, perhaps I need to also like make a, a customer profile, like a, an, a, a profile for what type of characteristics or what type of person this is that I am looking for. And then like, you know, dating profile it up. <laughs> How can I attract them? So I want to, I want to offer you one other thing, which is how can you create some kind of more objective test to not only is this person trustworthy, but also are they capable? Can they get the Mm -hmm. job done? And so an idea that comes to mind for me is having some kind of sample project or assignment that's part of the process to, you know, to, for them to really demonstrate that they're willing to put in time and effort and can, can output good work. Um, so that would be my, a thought that I will offer you. And a question that I'll offer you is how do you, how do you test someone's trustworthiness? How can you do that Mm -hmm. in a more scientific objective way as opposed to you know just just a vibe check because you know yeah as you've seen those those are not always reliable (laughs) those are not always reliable um so we are aligned because that's exactly what i did as well um i did go ahead and like in um putting out the this new and improved application or um job posting then i also had certain requirements that um i wanted like a nice little paragraph just telling me about your career goals so now i can see their writing styles i can see their communication styles um i was just trying to find like these other ways to be able to test and see if i could find out more information um about the quality of work that this person puts out um but i I think that the way to kind of like trust people more um, is always going to be through a series of small bets. It's like, here's this one task that for me, um, and of course it's all very personal. Um, I know that I have problems relinquishing control over the items because I'm like, there's a certain output and quality in which that in which I do something that other people may not necessarily do it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to open myself up to other people's styles. Um, And I think even like smaller tasks that I usually wouldn't hand over, but is something that needs to be delegated, you know, just for efficiency and workflow. I think like doing those little things um, where it's like, Ooh, I can kind of like deal with giving it to you. Please don't mess it up. I can do it anyway if you mess it up, but like, you know, a series of little bets is what what helps, I think. Absolutely. And I will share one last thing on this that, you know, feel free to disregard, take it or leave it. This is just my my experience. So by no means the end all be all. But one thing that I've found useful and challenging is creating SOPs. You know, for me personally, that's just like not fun. It's like the kind of administrative work that I I don't particularly enjoy. And unfortunately, when needing to delegate, especially kind of these tasks that often get delegated, you know, one way to make it much more, I'm not going to say idiot proof, because that's not, that's not PC to call someone an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, but but um, I'm I'm, but um, yeah. So so one thing that I found to make that process even even a little bit easier is having, if you don't have them in place when you're doing the training, you kind of have the new person create them as you go, right Mm -hmm. under your guidance, and so you you can make sure that the standard of the output is you know, the expectation is very clear and they get it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it kind of, I, I find it also provides some ownership over the task or the process if they yes. help to define it. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's, that's just my two cents. Take it or leave it. No, um, <laughs> I've done this. 
<laughs> my whole workflow, well, I'm, I'm currently switching um, my workflow system, like my project man management system, but I previously utilized Asana and there's not, there's nothing but descriptions and subtasks on some tasks. Okay. Like I am, I'm that type of person. So like, I'm already providing it. So if you can't, <laughs> if you can't, then I don't, I don't got, I don't, I can't teach cognitive thinking. So, um, I, I, and I'm wondering as well, if like, if parts of this are symptoms of the, you know, the panorama, this panda, panda, panda that's happening outside. Um, I'm wondering if there's like, just because we're all going through a collective trauma. So I like to say that we, I call our existence as human beings, I'm having a whole metaphysical moment. I know that we're going to roll into like going into overtime, but here we go. Right. Uh, to me, we are all sailing through the cosmos. We are on this cruise ship called earth sailing through the cosmos, somehow we haven't been hit with a meteor, like a huge meteor, and somehow we haven't been sucked into a black hole while we're cruising. We don't even know what direction we're really going with, okay? We're kind of going with the sea. <laughs> round, That's round to like give go, perspective. round and round. <laughs> That's to give the perspective of like, in the midst of this whole galaxy and everything, we're on this little cruise ship. And some people on the cruise ship on this other side, you know, northern bound, got sick, and now the whole, the whole boat and there's no getting off the boat, okay? <laughs> and so I understand that with these pressures and everything, some people might be going through like these really, we all fight these internal and invisible battles within our mind. And we're often showing up to these places and, and are being expected to be our full 100% self where um, it was already hard to be 100% before. And now with this, you know, people are like, 40% themselves, 70% themselves, you know, just not fully there. Um, and that's okay. But I do think that like, there's something to, it's kind of like what's happening to the integrity of work that people are outputting. Like, and, and is that a component of people not living their why? Like if you're not living your purpose, then you're not already interested in that task so what you would normally half-ass your quarter assing like you can't sit a quarter ass on anything so <laughs> that's awesome but that's what it feels like to me because um with all of your advices yes these are already things that I do implement um and that I do already have or like have um done as like as like my second um my second follow-up or you know my second step but it's making me kind of sit back and maybe put on my my therapist and counselor hat like well maybe <laughs> maybe it's all these other things you know what i mean and because people aren't living their wise then they're coming into these spaces and are taking on jobs just for money that they don't actually care about um and which is why i emphasized earlier as my my tips for someone coming into the business side of cannabis like find out what your why is. You, uh, there's a whole book called Find Your Why. <laughs> like go read that, it definitely helps. Do the, the steps within it. Um, call, call the people who are closest to you and ask them what is the impact that you've had on their life and, and figure out what ways you want to create that impact in all these other areas. Because we need actual people who care out here to, to, in order to continue build, especially those of us who are like social entrepreneurs and who are building businesses based on socioeconomic impact, um, so positive socioeconomic impact. So I just need, I feel like I'm okay. Okay, that's what I'm saying here. That's essentially what I'm saying. I feel like I'm okay. I just feel like, you know, <laughs> help me, Mike. <laughs> I, I hear you. There's a lot of people aren't, as high functioning or as high, highly competent. And especially if, if you're hurting, if you're really going through it during this time or any other time, it, it becomes that much harder to perform at a high level. So, mm -hmm. but I'm hearing that you're good and that makes me feel great. And I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. And I, I have no doubt you'll find that great person because you're already taking the steps necessary and adjusting the approach. And, you know, it's only it's, uh, 
at some point it becomes a numbers game, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to use the dating comparison again, where it's like, yeah. you know, you kind of have to get a few bad ones out of the way until you find that great one and it clicks and then, you know, off to the races and the team the is sunset. growing. <laughs> yeah. <Awesome. laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like these conversations. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. Um, I will say in like kind of closing, um, that like the, I believe personally that the route to a sustainable future really lies in us recognizing all of these different dimensions and not even just recognizing, but recognizing and valuing all the different dimensions of interdependence that like we have not just with each other, but also with the world around us. Like I said, we're on this cruise ship sailing through (laughs) space. And, you know, while they're trying to, you know, find another spaceship for us to, uh, I mean, not a spaceship, but another ship, cruise ship for us to, you know, dwell on right now, this is this blue one, this little blue dot is the only one we have. Um, So I want to always like enforce us doing and being better about taking care of each other, taking care of ourselves, taking care of each other. And then um, how can we develop you know, in the ways that we are all doing business, how can we develop ways or mechanisms or products or services that are not just helping other people and solving problems, but then also moving along the bigger kind of like sustainable um, social economic agendas. Like we shouldn't have to keep talking about climate change. We should already be doing the things. And like now we should be growing the technologies. Like now we should be more at innovation level, you know, like, oh, let's find this other way to use solar powered phones now, like, and solar powered this, like, you know what I mean? It, the, and it's all in us pushing forward and um, creating these opportunities and spaces where we can do that. And then, like I said, you know, letting the law and governors and all that other stuff catch up to catch up to the innovation. Absolutely. And so I appreciate you for doing some of that work alongside me and alongside many other wonderful people in this community that are trying to, in my opinion, you know, make that call to everyone else that, hey, let's move faster here. Let's band together. Let's get this done. We know what needs doing. Let's Mm -hmm. not keep, you know, speculating on whether or not climate change is real. Let's just solve the problems. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's going to take, hopefully, uh, I don't know, something's going to have to happen for people to gain more awareness. And I believe that cannabis and psychedelics could be a part of that solution yeah. or that process. So agreed. Shalise, thank you so much again. Unfortunately, yeah, I have to run. Great. Otherwise, I'm sure we could go on and on for for days about these topics, but it's been so yeah. lovely to catch up with you. And I hope to see you at an event in, in New York <laughs> real soon. Yes, um, absolutely. And shout out to you. You just had an event yesterday, um, which I'm, I'm like so upset that I missed, but like, you know, I have no assistance. So I got to do more work right now. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'll make sure but, to get your replay video. And Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, even though it's the virtual field and everything, I think it's always great when you're like on some type of zoom or something, and then you happen to see somebody else from the community and you're like, we're on the zoom. (laughs) We're learning the stuff. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So yes, thank you for having me and have a great day. And thank you you. for all the viewers and people who are listening. Thank you for listening and taking the time to be a part of the conversation too. Indeed. Absolutely. Thank you to the audience. You're the real MVP. (laughs) Yeah. um, For anyone who's wondering, you can find me at www.sisterrogers.com. S-I-S-T-A-H-R-O-G-E-R-S.com. You can go on YouTube and just type in Sister Rogers that same way. You'll also find my YouTube channel. Um, For mindful token, you can can, uh, inbox us at inbox us that sounds so like AOL what Uh, (laughs) am I showing my age (laughs) um you can email us uh you can send us a message on Instagram at mindful toking or you can um email us at inhale i n 
H-A-L-E at mindfultoking.com, um, where we can then send you our booking links if you want to set up some cannabis-assisted therapy sessions or some breathwork sessions, or if you don't even want to utilize psychedelics in it. Um, I uh, have done my certified substance abuse counseling. I am going back to school for another um, degree in mental health counseling. So yeah. Awesome. Oh, Roll with me. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.